0: K.Y.W. News Radio Original Podcasts. Many things, I mean a lot of things, in U.S. politics aren't set by law or rule, but rather just by precedent or the norm of what's always been done. Even I, who I think I know a fair amount about the works of the U.S.
1: systems, have been surprised that this or that thing was not actually a law. For example, that there's no regulation of Supreme Court justices in terms of the acceptance of gifts or disclosure
0: of gifts. Dr. Ben Berger is an associate professor of political science at Swarthmore College. He's also the executive director of the Lang Center for Civic and Social Responsibility. He says a lot of things are surprisingly reliant on people just doing the right thing, and when they don't, well, these problems often go unaddressed because fixing them could inconvenience politicians.
1: Congress has been very unwilling to have itself policed, and because they're the ones who often would be passing the legislation to have it happen, it hasn't happened.
0: I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio in depth, we talk about some of the different norms that exist in politics today, how powerful a lack of shame has proven to be in our current political environment, and what are some of the rules that, if implemented, could level the playing field for politicians. Have the last several years been a surprise to you how much of our high level political society is based on norms instead of hard and fast rules or laws?
1: Well, yes and no, Matt. I mean, to what are norms, right? They're just informal, often unwritten standards of behavior that are expected within a group. And that group is any group. So all groups have them, and Congress has them. So political science, we know that. We know Congress has got norms. We know there's norms in the executive branch. We know there's norms in the Elks Club, and there's norms in U.S. society. So- Not surprised that there are a lot of norms underlying politics. Even I, who I think I know a fair amount about the works of the U.S. systems, have been surprised that this or that thing was not actually a law. For example, that there's no regulation of Supreme Court justices in terms of the acceptance of gifts or disclosure of gifts. So there have been instances that have surprised me. The idea that they're there and have been very important has not surprised me. Back in 2006, political scientists Norman Ornstein and Thomas Mann wrote a book about the broken branch, they were referring to Congress. And they were talking about a change that they had seen over like 30, 35 years of time studying Congress in which the approach that individual senators and representatives had towards their institution had changed markedly, that norms of collegiality had changed, but even norms of respect and honor in the institution had changed. So that it used to be the case in the 70s, 80s, that senators might defend the Senate against encroachments from the executive branch. But when George W. Bush was president, Dennis Hastert, Speaker of the House, announced that it was his mission, his job, to get Bush's legislative agenda passed. That idea of Congress, in a sense, being the lackey, the underling of the executive branch is really a very big change. It's not new, because again, that was already the you know, turn of the century or so, but it's troubling and problematic because those norms, they're not just social norms. And they're not even just political norms. They almost border on constitutional norms.
0: Another thing that just blew my mind is the idea that presidential candidates releasing their tax returns. Now, obviously, we have spent years, probably going on a decade, talking about Donald Trump's taxes, but it is amazing to me that this is not a law, a rule, that if you want to run for the highest office in the land, we should probably know where your money's coming from. And I know the idea of this is relatively new going back to Nixon, but it just seems like such a, we need to know where the money's coming from. Is it legitimate? Is it from overseas? Like, it just seems like such a a basic thing that you would have thought at some point we would have put something in writing.
1: Sure. You're right. I mean, as you say, it's a recent thing. I mean, the income tax itself, federal income tax is only a 20th century thing. And then people start disclosing it in the late 20th century. And at the beginning, then, there's no need, I guess, for a law because the president seems seemed just doing the right thing. When that's been done, then, OK, well, the norm is working. There's no need for a law. It's only when somebody comes and breaks the norm that then people think about, wait a second, maybe we need to do something to make sure this doesn't happen again. This happened with George Washington and not running for a third term in office. And people probably want him to run. If we've all seen the musical Hamilton, we know there's a little drama with George Washington. He wanted to run. And yet he says, no more kings. We shouldn't have a republic in which there can be something like, King Scrum, I'm going to step down. And so after that, with that kind of figure of the magnitude of George Washington doing it, well, it's a norm, and nobody you know, does run for more than two terms until Franklin Roosevelt does. And when he does, it's really quite a shock. He had some rationale for it. It's wartime. Still so the Depression. Nonetheless, after Roosevelt, the 22nd Amendment is passed that says, okay, now you can't do that any longer. They didn't feel the need to do it until he did it, and then they said, we're going to pass a law or an amendment.
0: You referenced early, the Supreme Court. And there's the long list of things connected to Clarence Thomas. There's been questions about John Roberts' financials, specifically with his wife and Neil Gorsuch with the land deal. And then you talk about all the things that Donald Trump did as far as breaking norms. And then you go to Congress and there's, you know, we've got George Santos, who basically made everything up. I'm We're assuming his name is really George Santos. And uh, He's still in Congress and seems to now want to run for re election or is at least raising money for re election. And everybody just kind of looks around. And it seems like our society, our system is really impotent to do anything on any of these fronts if the people don't want to do it themselves.
1: You're right, Matt. Norms, they might refer to to behavior and conduct, but they're really rooted in values. And so we could look at well, what are the values really there for? In just human society, it's often listed cooperation, or or compromise, or not doing harm to others, harm prevention. And that's partly what the norms have been there for in in politics as well, and for courts. The idea is to protect the public, to not benefit from your office, to not do things that reduce public trust in the office. And so those are important values that are underlying these norms, and those are the values that are being disregarded when actors, the ones you just mentioned, go and flout particular norms. And that's serious. And yet, there's nothing to be done legally to punish, at least because they weren't against the law.
0: I think we have learned the strongest weapon in the political toolbox is a lack of shame. And I think we saw a lot of that with Trump, is that a lot of things that would have derailed any other candidate, he just didn't care. And eventually, we moved on to the next thing. And we are so dependent on people having shame and basically doing the right thing. And it is just shocking to me how bright the light is of the problems this causes.
1: Anybody who thinks they like Adam Smith, but has only been a little bit of the wealth of nations should take a look at his much bigger and, and to him more important work, The Theory of Moral Sentiments. Smith, in the late 1700s, writes all about this stuff and about the way that moral systems and social systems work. And shame is an important thing. Caring about what other people think about you is an important thing in terms of keeping some kind of equilibrium. Now, there are some cases in which if you're in a really oppressive system and you're willing to push back against unjust norms, let's say sexist or racist norms, you might need to be able to stand up to feelings of shame and say, I I just know better. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are simply pursuing self-interest. And saying, I'm just not going to be ashamed about it. And you're also right that that sets an example for others who might otherwise, if they didn't see that person get away with it, have thought, well, there's going to be punishment, I'm going to be publicly shamed. But also, and we haven't brought this up yet, but with the particular news cycle and news environment we have in which people can insulate themselves, citizens can, in kind of echo chambers and only get the voices and only get the feedback and the news that they want to get, some of the elected officials and candidates are able to emulate them what they see in Trump, and really get very little blowback, at least not that they hear, because their fans are all there to tell them how great they are and how true it is. That's another very dangerous thing. So we are in uncharted territory here in terms of not just having a leader who's got no shame and not just having people who might be tempted to follow that leader, but also in having a media environment in which those people can be insulated from a lot of blowback that might otherwise have caused them shame or
0: harm. Dianne Feinstein, longtime senator from California, who I believe is 89 years old, terms run until 2024, hasn't been in the Senate for months because of a health issue. There is a lot of smoke, and I have read several stories that seem to be pretty well sourced that she has had some serious cognitive problems. And given the closely divided Senate, Now the Democrats can't move anybody out of the judiciary, any judges out, because she's on there. And the Republicans, you can argue right-wrong, won't let them change. But there's no mechanism here to fix this, and you're just dependent on someone giving up power on their own. And this just is another example of something that you feel like at some point there should be some kind of a remedy to fix this situation, but instead everybody's just kind of looking around and like, well, there's nothing we can do.
1: Well, there could be a remedy if there could be 60 votes, for example, in the Senate, but we know that's not going to happen. So a fair amount of this also boils down to the relatively new lack of cooperation, lack of bipartisan collaboration, which was really done in the past for a sense of building future bridges, tit for tat. This might happen to us. And so let's make sure to do something that's going to help these guys out because it might happen to us in the future. The fine scene thing, she ought to step down. AOC just came out and said she ought to step down. Others have as well. Sometimes they're accused of being either anti-feminist or or ageist. I think those are both wrong. I love my dad very much, who is 82 years old, 81 years old. Sorry, dad. Brilliant guy. Respect him a lot. Go to him for advice of all kinds. It's not that he is not very cognitively sharp. I would not want him to be running around on the schedule, essentially, of an investment banker, which is what a congressperson is doing. So I would have no difficulties and kind of hope that they do put two different things. One, some kind of age limit on all politicians. We may talk about this with regard to Joe Biden as well. I happen to like Biden, but I'm very distressed by his decision to, to push forward and run again in spite of the fact that really most voters seem not to want him to do that. But also term limits. Term limits ought to be applied. We've heard about them before. They ought to be applied to the Supreme Court as well, because one of the problems we're seeing there is that they're not only unelected, but they can have their jobs for life if they want to. And so there's really they're beyond any kind of punishment except for impeachment, which is really, really difficult to pull off. Why? Because Congress people don't collaborate much anymore. So I'm hoping at least on the back end of this, we might see some kind of reforms that involve things like age limits as well as term limits, I think I'll get a lot of pushback. Some listeners might be upset and think I'm ageist. It has nothing to do with respect for older people. I hope to be someday as old as Diane Feinstein, and I would never want to be a congressperson at that time.
0: We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Ben Berger, Associate Professor of Political Science at Swarthmore College. Right after this, this is KYW News Radio In Depth. And we are back on KWW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Ben Berger, Associate Professor of Political Science at Swarthmore College. Another thing you see is, you know, the Supreme Court recently, the Judiciary Committee did a Supreme Court hearing because of everything that's come out. And John Robert, they asked John Roberts, and he just declined. I feel like there should be some kind of mechanism that he has to talk. It seems like the judiciary is now running away with, the ability to just strike down anything and there's no accountability and can't even be bothered to show up to, to answer questions like that seems really troubling. And another thing that it just like, will you come and talk? No. OK. Like there's no mechanism to it. That seems absurd.
1: Especially because they're, the, they're the highest court in the land. So if this was legislated and there was an attempt to compel that it ultimately goes to the Supreme Court. And what are they going to say? The Supreme Court, it's become clear, is both very powerful and very insulated. And those are disturbing things. Alexander Bickel wrote a book years ago called The Least Dangerous Branch when he was taking a look at the, the problem of the so-called counter-majoritarian difficulty. That sounds like big terms. Really, really, The really question was, is an anti-democratic institution because the people are unelected and they serve for life and they are overturning legislation that was enacted by popularly elected legislatures? So is there a counter-majoritarian difficulty? Are they anti-democratic in some way? And his answer was—and— and Part of the answer in the the Federalist Papers from Alexander Hamilton was, well, don't worry about it. The court is the least dangerous branch. They don't control the sword, that's the executive branch, or the purse, that's the legislative branch. So don't worry about it so much. But a lot of us have come to worry over time that there's a lot of lack of accountability in the court. And there were days when there were norms of restraint in the court, and those days seem to be long past And the question is, are we going to put something in place now that forces them to deal with it? One more thing, by the way, not only aren't there laws about disclosure of finances, but there aren't even laws and rules about when one can recuse oneself. So the idea is, and all lawyers and judges sort of say this, well, you know, sure, of course, you can't take gifts, for example, as Thomas has done, from people who have a case before you. But some of us might ask, well, but what if the person might have a case before you? Or what if all their friends are likely to have cases before you? Are you not being influenced in some kind of way? And then the response could be, well, you'll just recuse yourself in all of those cases. But there's no rule saying that you have to. And Thomas did not recuse himself in a case involving Harlan Crowe's company, one of his companies, a while ago. And he didn't recuse himself in the January 6th hearing that his wife was involved. And in. some people thought, of course, uh, he'll, he'll recuse himself. And he didn't. So the absence of any rules there make me think this would be a, a ripe place Thing that would benefit the court as well because it depends upon popular
0: trust has some rules put in place now. Do you think the lack of rules, laws at the highest level, is it a queasiness to police oneself that at that level they don't want to rock the boat too much? Is it a lack of imagination? I lean towards the lack of imagination for a long time, but the more and more you see, the more I think it's just it's it's bubble. They don't want to rock the boat too much, and they don't want people to digging too much into what they do. And so we'll just uh, give some good sound bites, but not really do anything.
1: Well, for Congress, there's definitely been an unwillingness to be to have themselves policed. There have been all kinds of attempts. I mean, just after Watergate, when Congress passed the Ethics and Government Act. And had, there were independent counsel provisions in there that had an end date. It had to keep on getting renewed. And eventually it expired in 99. There were people who had problems with independent councils. And subsequently, there have been some things attempted to try to compel certain kinds of behaviors and restraints on members of Congress. And they've always rejected it. It's got to be passed by Congress. And they said, no, we don't want to be police." Nancy Pelosi was even against the idea that they could trade stocks. Trade stocks, yeah. Yeah. Very wealthy person, you know, over $100 million, $115, $118 million, who's counting, and says that she thinks that Congress people should be able to benefit from from stock sales while they're in office. Well, that seems pretty ridiculous to a lot of us. So it's not just on one side of the aisle that that has happened. Congress has been very unwilling to to have itself policed. And because they're the ones who often would be passing the legislation to have it happen, it hasn't happened.
0: It's all those... Specifically with the financial stuff, because I put the tax returns and what you just pointed out about the stock trading in the same bucket. They're doing us a favor by running for office, and you should just be happy that they're there rather than this being their choice. They're pursuing it. And if you don't want people to know where the money comes from, it's very simple don't run for office. Like, you don't have to do this. It's just, it has just such a corrosive effect on trust in government, and what people think about how things work and such.
1: That's right, especially because I think it's the case that people on both sides of the spectrum, on all sides, of, all ends of the spectrum, recognize that there's too much money in politics, that the influence of politics has made us something like plutocracy and oligarchy, the rule of the wealthy. There are some great papers and books on this page and Shapiro, our political scientists have written about this who say that, you know, here's the reason why we call the the U.S. kind of like an oligarchy. It's not the case that regular people never get legislation passed that they want. They do. But that's only when that legislation is also okay with the super, super, super rich. If ever there are things that the super, super, super rich don't want to have passed, well, then it doesn't really matter what the people want. It's not going to, to get passed because of lobbying and dark money and all kinds of stuff like that. And people on the right don't like George Soros and certain kinds of charitable foundations that really wind up, in a sense, making policy on their own. People on the left, there are all other kinds of of arguments against things like super PACs. So that recognition that there's too much money in politics, look, it's even in getting into the Supreme Court too, is widespread. So then what to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We apparently can't depend on Congress to put those limits in place because they are the people who are benefiting from it. And the question then becomes, well, does it need to be a constitutional amendment, something else? Because surely something's got to change.
0: I just finished the book, Nixonland, which came out about 15 years ago. And it's phenomenal on its own, but it is amazing to listen to it and listen to the politics of grievance and the political games and the political underhanded stunts and stuff like that. The names have changed, not all the names, because you still hear, you know, a young Roger Stone, a young Donald Rumsfeld, like these names that became very synonymous in the last 10, 15 years, you know, kind of had their origin stories there. But so much of the same things happen now where we just assume the best and are shocked, shocked, I tell you, that, hmm. that this could have happened. It's just fascinating to me that we've kind of been here before, and we kind of addressed it, but then we didn't, and it just kind of, we're back, back once again. That is
1: discouraging. There were lessons learned after Watergate. They just didn't seem to last. Norms, very often, though, because they're not illegal when somebody violates them, the way to deal with them is to afterwards... Pass a rule or a law that criminalizes or makes it impossible to do that same sort of thing again, but it can't get the person who did it originally, and that happened with Watergate. I mean, that's where we see the institutionalization of the role of, of special prosecutor, which later becomes independent counsel. Right? That's afterwards. I mean, there always were special prosecutors that didn't originate with Watergate. You had the Teapot Dome bribery and corruption scandal during the Hard administration there was a special prosecutor. The tax scandals in the early 50s, there was a special prosecutor, but those were inside the executive branch.
0: All that, looking back at Watergate and so much of this repeating itself, I'm curious. Watergate happens in 2023. Same exact situation. Nixon resign? I don't think so. I think he gets enough air cover from conservative media and enough both sides and enough what about and just puts his head down and works through it, and eventually we get bored and move on.
1: That's right. Two things. Number one, Nixon was capable of something like shame. He was He's concerned with his appearance. He's the one who said you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around any longer and made the ridiculous comment about keeping the dog checkers that had been given to him as a senator. So he had some capacity for shame. If he was really roundly rejected by his party, but also it's what you just said is the media, not just the 24-hour news cycle, but what we were talking about earlier and this immersive experience that lets people go and just be surrounded by the news they choose to hear, Fox News, Newsmax, there are still people, many people who are absolutely convinced that the 2000 election was stolen from Donald Trump, even though it's been just Said time and again by authoritative sources, no evidence has, has come forward to demonstrate that. Why? will they're able to listen to the news that tells them so. So if Richard Nixon benefited from that, he could just say afterward, this is all just fake news. It's all ridiculous. You know, this is it's actually this treachery by these people in the DOJ. I, I should have I should have fired them uh, long ago and he would just stuck around. Nixon was a tough SOB. He was a guy who was capable of sticking around. It was only at this very last thing when he's impeached, and it became clear that he lost support in Congress and that those Republicans were going to vote against him and vote for impeachment. That's when he actually stepped down and resigned. And I think you're right. None of that happens with the news environment that we've carved out today.
0: So this has been incredibly interesting and incredibly depressing on another note, the discussion here. Do you have any hope that we can these institutions can write the ship and things can be a little more concrete of what you can and can't do and we just don't depend on people being good people to do the right thing
1: i always have hope i'm american i'm a patriot i believe in the country so i always have hope doesn't mean i'm not scared as i'll get out what i would like to see happen first of all is in the short term some kinds of laws rules along the types that we talked about things that clearly regulate what the supreme court can and can't do things that clearly regulate what the president can and can't do as well. The bigger and much more challenging thing, there are two of them. One is the role of money in government, which I do not think is going away. And the second thing is the difficulty of regaining public trust once norms of trust have been eroded. That's what the post-Watergate stuff was all about. It's why Jimmy Carter was elected president as a complete outsider who had no experience. And I think Carter has been an absolutely lovely human being, very, very bright, super well-meaning, not a good president was not able to govern well as he was an outsider, which is the reason he was brought in. But a lot of things happened after Watergate to be able to win back public trust. Edward Levy, who was the attorney general that, that Gerald Ford appoints, he was known to be somebody who was nonpartisan. He even investigated for several months whether to investigate Ford himself, the person who just appointed him, that didn't wind up going through. But it was all about winning back the trust of the people. When you have someone who is unafraid to tell lies all the time, and when that empowers many others to tell like election denial stuff, which has been successful for some, and for those who it hasn't been successful for, it hasn't really cost them either. When that happens, there is a drainage, I think, of what's called social capital. Just trust. This happens in regular society when you see things like confidence people. So could be people on the street who run a scam and who do a really good job of pretending and making you think that they've just happened to have lost their money. And here's all this great stuff to back up my story. Can you give me a little bit of money? Anybody who's had that happen to them is not likely to let it happen again. They won't trust folks on the street, even if there might be somebody who's telling the truth. There is therefore a depletion of that trust, a generalized depletion. Same thing happens at the high levels with con people like Bernie Madoff. There's a lot of people or things like, you know, Bitcoin and the sort of Ponzi scheme surrounding that. When those things happen, they deplete public trust and it doesn't come back for a very long time. That, to me, is a much bigger issue. When people don't trust, trust the election process, when people actually think that one big Part of the government simply because their news tells them so is consisting of liars or demon worshippers or, you know, child blood drinkers. It's a very, very scary thing. And I'm not really sure what to do about it. I have ideas, but I got no particular answers for right now.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.